Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. So go ahead and grab your Bible out so we can get into the Word of God. God has something special for us. And turn in your Bible to Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, just in case you need some help finding it. And I wanna come around what I would consider as an interesting interaction between John the Baptist and Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse two, says John the Baptist who was in prison, heard about all the things that Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John Tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear and the dead are raised to life. The good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did did, did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see someone dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the Scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare the way before you. And I tell you the truth, verse 11, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least person in the Kingdom of Heaven is greater than he is. From the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. Today, my my sermon title is actually a question that I'm hoping that we can answer by the time we're through today, which is what kind of church are we? What kind of church are we? This is a fantastic Sunday. If if you're a visitor, if you're new to Vive Church, you're gonna find out from this sermon what kind of church uh, we, I hope, I hope we can answer it today. And if you are ready for the Word of God, would you find 15 people around you and give them a little head bump, forehead bump, elbow bump, whatever feels comfortable for you. Go ahead and interact with somebody, make it memorable so they do not forget you, but they remember you for the rest of their lives. Go ahead and welcome somebody to church. Thank you, worship team. Go ahead and take your seat. So the devil is a liar. Something my mom would say often, just randomly, anytime she you know, didn't agree with something. That and boredom is the devil's playground. She loved that one as well. You know, anytime that we would come to mom and be like, hey, I'm bored. She was like, well, boredom is the devil's playground. I'm gonna give you a chore. She wanted us playing with the devil, so she would load us up. We learned not to be bored. That's what we learned. But the truth be told, whether it was just something mom said, I agree with her that the devil is a liar. I'm trying to get some church folk to interact with me from the onset of this sermon. How many people know the devil is a liar? It's a true statement because the reason the devil is a liar is because nothing creates confusion more than a lie. We see this from the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve, we see that the enemy came at them with a lie or the goal of bringing confusion because he ultimately wanted to corrupt what was clear. And the only way to corrupt what was clear is to create confusion. That's why he said, did God say? Did God say? Trying to get some confusion between what was clear from God and ultimately corrupt what is clear. In fact, let me ask, have you ever been 
clear about something only for a situation to change and suddenly find yourself confused. Find yourself confused. Interestingly enough, nine years ago, we started this church. We, we were very clear about what God was calling us to do. I mean, we had vision statements, we had mission statements, we had distinctives, we had culture points. And even before we'd packed one bag to move countries, we had, we had literally articulated what it is that God was wanting to do on the other side of the planet. We, and we, had, we had heard this and discovered this through our church experience and our exposure to ministry over the years. We had very uh, artfully and, and cleverly defined exactly what it is we wanted to do and what we didn't want to do. We knew we, we had been exposed and therefore we began to write down clearly what God had spoken to us and what to build. And so, so the moment we arrived, we, we went to work. We went to work building leaders. We went to work holding worship experiences, teaching the Word of God. And I would literally invite every single person I met, you got to come to this church. you got to come. you got to come to this church Remember early in the church, we, we had a little family vacation, a Christmas vacation, we went up to Tahoe for Christmas and we'd been out skiing and snowboarding as a family and kind of doing that all day. And at the end of the day, they were exhausted, which was great for me because I could get one more run in, you know what I mean? Full pace. And so I said, you guys are good, got the hot chocolate, I'm just going to do one more run. I went and got on the chairlift and, and as I jumped on the chairlift, another dude jumped on, that's cool, uh, we're just going up the hill and then literally about, you know, not long into the trajectory up the hill, the thing stopped and we just start swinging. And I'm like, okay, you know, this happens, you know. So we're sitting there just for a couple minutes and uh, of silence, still no movement, no action and we're looking around at the scenery, end of the day and trying to honestly avoid a conversation. <laughs> I know you think like, man, get on chair, live with pastor, you're in trouble. He gonna preach. No, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm trying to not have a conversation. And uh, surely enough, uh, before much time goes on, it's like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> and, 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 and honestly, the, the conversation started out like about the day and how you run going. And, and, and then that question comes that I hate. So what do you do? And I hate that question because I know that there's only a few responses that are going to come. They're either, I'm going to say, well, I pastor a church. They're going to either be cool with it, awkward about it, or very anti it. And so I'm, it's always an adventure which one it's going to be. I remember saying, oh, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I pastor a church. And then it was just silent. Like the whole conversation was like gaps, speaking, gaps, speaking, and... So he was silent, and, and then he said, well, what kind of church is it? Uh, I didn't honestly know how. I said, Christian? <laughs> Silence. He says, yeah, but, but what kind is it? Now, here I'm feeling really stupid. I don't know if I took a few knocks to the head on the slopes or what it was, but I was trying to find the categories. Like, I'm trying to interpret what, what, what categories are we got to work with here? Like I just told you, it's a church. I, I told you it's, it's, it's Christian. Are there other categories that I'm meant to be aware of? Like what are you talking about? Are you talking about style? Are you talking about flair? Are you talking about denomination? Are you talking about uh, traditional? What do you, what do you, what? I, I, I don't know how to put this in because what word could I use if I said spirit-filled? That might 
means something to somebody, but may have a whole other connotation to somebody else. You know what I'm talking about? If, if, if I, say, I say modern because I hate the word relevant, so if I say modern, but does that give historical context to the depth and the history that we have with Christ? And, and so there are so many words I wanted to say, but then I wanted to retract, and I just found myself sitting there awkwardly just saying, would somebody fix this freaking chairlift? <laughs> Got angry all of a sudden. And it was fascinating to me that something that could be so clear to me was so difficult to explain. There's kind of a way what we're witnessing here with attention of this passage coming from John the Baptist where he responds from prison. He sends a request from prison through his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one we've been waiting for or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, now, now the reason this question holds so much tension is, is based on who is asking it. This is John the Baptist. Maybe we could call him John B for, for the sermon because it's a long name to keep talking about it. One point, he had incredible confidence that Jesus was the Messiah. He had like incredible confidence. In fact, we see this. If we go earlier to Matthew chapter three, we find incredible interaction at the baptism of Jesus. Like we saw people get baptized today. Jesus also got baptized by John B. He was the one who baptized Jesus. And at that moment, it was absolutely more than just a baptism. It was incredible confidence in who Jesus was. In fact, let me show you. It says this in John 3, 13. It says, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? John knew who Jesus was. They even had an interaction in the womb moment. Before they were even born, there was an interaction. Uh, growing up, John, John was a man of God. John had a clear mandate on his life to prepare the way, to make the way. That was the prophetic word that was spoken over his life. So there was no doubt in him, even in this moment, who Jesus was. Jesus says, would you baptize me? He's like, uh, this is out of order. This, this seems a little strange. And I understand, John. Like the Messiah, the Son of God comes to you and says, would you baptize me? Oh, okay, this is strange. So he says, you should be baptizing me. And I love what Jesus said. Verse 15, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. I, love, I just love the humility of Jesus to be God, but to also be obedient to the Father. So John agreed to baptize him. That's a good Good decision. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. Now, who saw it? It doesn't say if Jesus saw it or John saw it, but the context of Matthew is that John saw the Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove. Wasn't a dove, but it was like a dove. It's important context. So here we've got John who is new ahead of time. Hey, you should be the one baptizing me. Secondly, in the moment he comes up out of the water, there's this interaction where the Spirit of God just kind of sends. Imagine being in that moment. John's like, yo, this is real. This is, this is like if there were any doubts before, no doubts. He's the one. Then check it out. It goes on to say that, that and a voice, verse 17, from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Like if you had any doubt at all, it's clear. It was audible. We have, I know who you were. We have the dove. We have the voice echoing from heaven. It's clear. Clear that he is the one. 
moment of clarity. In fact, what we see about John B, according to Scripture, is pretty wild. He was not weak. As a man, he wasn't hesitant by nature. The Bible describes him as deeply convicted, in fact, especially about his calling, his calling to be the one to make a way in the wilderness. That's why he lived out in the wilderness, wearing camel hair clothing and ate locusts and wild honey. I mean, he's, he's a savage, but, but because he had no time for anything else, he was so convicted about his calling. He didn't have time for the things of this life, the distractions. He wasn't busy about building his home. He was about God's business. And so he positioned himself in a place where the crowds, the Bible said, would come to John and they would listen to him preach. A very clear message. It was simple. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was John's message. He was bold about it too. The Bible says that People came from towns and cities just to hear John preach. So much passion, undiluted passion, pure passion for the purpose of God. Deep conviction around the coming of the kingdom, baptizing people while he's preaching, literally multitasking. This, John, John, John knew exactly what his mission was. However, something changed. From John B to, to the one in Matthew 11 asking Jesus, are you the one? Let me ask this again. Have you ever been confident about something only for a situation to change? And what was confidence is now confusing. Maybe you were planning on a promotion, but you got pregnant. Maybe there was a time where the idea of dating was exciting and now the whole idea is just disappointing. Is, is there a season that was confidence, but because of some circumstances, some changes, some situations that aren't how they were, it's created some confusion. In fact, Scripture tells us exactly what changed for John. Matthew 14, in fact, reveals that he upset the wrong people. I don't know if you know this, but give you some context. What changed for John? He wasn't put in prison because he stole something. He wasn't put in prison because he, he decided to do something illegal. He was so deeply convicted by God and the standards of righteousness that he went after Herod. He went after Herod because Herod married his brother's wife, Herodias. How's that? And, and Herod and Herodias are living in this crazy sinful state. And so, so John just says, hey, that's not of God. Obviously, that didn't fly too well with the ruler of Galilee in that time. And so he puts John in prison. That wasn't part of John's plan. As deeply as convicted that he was about his calling, he's meant to make a way, not be bound up. How do I make a way when I'm locked up? That, that really wasn't, the, the prophets left that part out. Like, it's interesting how you can be out there on the edge, so confident in your calling, but when a circumstance changes, what now? What, is, this still, is this still on? In fact, what that will do, it will get you to question everything you ever believed. Not just what you believe now, but what you've always believed. It will, it will cause question. It will put doubt into everything that you've ever believed. And so here we've, here we've got John saying, ah, you the one. Are you the one? Or should we look for another? I get a tone in this message. I get a little tone of disappointment. I get a tone of confusion coming through from, from John B. here. And, and maybe I could 
just for a moment, bring it into the context of our current theme, best church ever, and ask, is this the church for you? Is this the one or are you still searching for another? I know that may come across a little confronting, especially if you're first time here. But I feel like i got to address a culture that is among Christians that will never cease to amaze me. It's called church shopping. I never get to talk into these cultures, but this series I get to. You know, church shopping. And church shopping back in the day used to be kind of a novel idea where you would just go to different churches from Sunday to Sunday and just kind of like catalog all the cool things that they do. And, you you know, have a discussion probably with your spouse, a significant other, or if you're single with God, and you just, just discuss all the benefits. Well, this church has this. This church has a cute guy. Uh, so, you know, like it, you, you would just, just all the spiritual things you would list as to why I'm at that church. However, now it's gone from that to, to online church shopping. Online shopping. Online shopping, and, and truthfully, online shopping has to be amazing if you're a church shopper. Like, the convenience factor. I mean, because even in, like, the physical church shopping world, you still have to, like, interact with people. You have to have an awkward conversation. You have to sample probably some pretty terrible coffees. Thank God, not here. But, but you know, you have to... You have to ch- oh, the Apostle Coffee team, love that. But, but you know, you, and, and then, you, like, like, it's such a weird because you want to... You have to seem committal but be non-committal. Do you know what I mean? Like, so you give a fake email. I mean, even like in house hunting, in house hunting, you at least give your real email to a realtor. And not to the check-in team, like the fake one. And we know. Me at me.com. Okay, yeah, great. We know. We know. But online shopping is amazing. Like the church shopping culture, you know, you can, you can, you can literally get access today to some of the most entertaining orators of modern preaching than you could ever have imagined going to all the conferences in the world. You, you get access on your device. You, you literally get to curate your feed. You can pick which parts you like, even out of the orators that you sign up to. You get to pick which part you need. This is so great about online shopping because you don't even have to listen to everything they say. So the minute they start talking about money, you just mute them for a season and then you come back when they start talking about chains breaking. You know what I mean? Because we love that one. It's great. It's, it's amazing. Until you want to grow, that is. <laughs> Until you actually want to have some spiritual growth in your life because we know growth doesn't come without challenge. Like nothing builds without resistance. Like to build muscles, you can't, I mean, you can't just go to the gym in the outfit and not want to be fit. You, like it doesn't, it doesn't there, there is a disconnect, but that's what, that's what the culture of Christianity looks like. Oh, I want to look the part, but, but God don't actually challenge me. To live like it, I'm just speaking into some cultures and it has nothing to do with my sermon. I'm just trying to find places to put it in on Sundays, you know? Did it work? Back to my question. Have you found the church you're looking for? Have you found the church? This is, this is what John wanted to know. Are you the one? Are you the one? Given his change of circumstances, I actually don't think his question is so strange. I don't think his question is that bizarre. What I think is bizarre is Jesus' response. Like, why didn't he just say yes? 
this will always fascinate me about Jesus. Like in this moment where John is clearly looking for some confirmation because he's confused, he says, are you the one? Yes, would have built a lot of confidence. Jesus never does that. Instead, he says, the, the blind see. Hello, the lame walk. He says, go back and tell him what you see. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. In fact, Jesus himself was unconventional and unexpected. No one could box Jesus in, not, not his behaviours, not his style, not the way he ministered, not what he would do. Everything they thought he would do, he did the opposite to. Like the Pharisees were so confused by Jesus because what they'd always seen in religious leaders that were on the, on the rise, anytime there was a moment for celebrity, they would step up to the plate. But anytime Jesus would heal something, the crowds would gather, Jesus would retreat. Like, like he wasn't looking for what they were looking for. He was so unpredictable. That's what frustrated them so much about Jesus is they couldn't lay the traps that they usually would lay for people for Jesus to, to hook him in. He, he, he was different. He couldn't, he couldn't be categorized. In fact, this was illuminated in a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in Matthew 16. We've been talking about this passage over the last few weeks. Right before establishing that he was gonna build his church, he asked the disciples, who do people say I am? What are the latest rumours going around? To which they replied in verse 14, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Some, they didn't know how to categorise Jesus. He was different from everything they'd experienced. So they tried to connect it to something that they knew. Sometimes we do this. When we experience something we can't categorize, we try and connect it to something that we know, good or bad. Try and put it into a framework that we may be able to process. Not that God could be doing something brand new in your life. Not that God could have you in a season that you've never experienced before because He wants to take you to somewhere you haven't been before. But, but you try and keep bringing it back into an old framework, into an old paradigm. I hear this in the church all the time. People come in, well, I, I, we've done something like that before. I know how that's going to turn out. Oh, you went for a building before and didn't work. Okay, so that, that then gives you the, the right to have no faith in what God wants to do in a new season. Okay, okay. So here we got Jesus trying to be boxed in. Are you the one? Jesus elusively, instead of just saying yes, he points to the fruit of his ministry. Can you imagine for a moment being part of church that didn't give you a description statement or a box that you could neatly categorize it with, but instead just relied on the fruit of its ministry to reveal what kind of church it was? <laughs> I'm a brand new citizen of the United States of America and I did something so phenomenal. The most American thing I did the other day is I voted. I voted. Truly a privilege. Incredible. I'm, I've been waiting 10 years for this. Decade in the country and now I can finally vote. And I put my vote, I cast my vote, and uh, it was interesting because the process of registering to vote, I was asked which party I connect with. I hadn't thought about that. And I hadn't thought about it because I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I, I knew what they stood for. I, I'm not 
illiterate. I understand what they stand for, but, but I know politicians as well. You can't go by what they say. You have to judge by the fruit. So I wrote, I'll see. I wrote on my, my official registration form, which party ticked the box, I'll see. Because you work for me. Hello. Oh, you forgot that you're a citizen. They work for you. You're my representative. You, 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 I'll, I'll see. We'll see. We'll see about this. This is why I love, love Jesus' response and answers to John because he starts talking about the fruit. He says, blind see, the lame walk, lepers are healed, dead are raised. <laughs> probably stuff that John didn't even have on his list, by the way. Like probably stuff that he, he didn't think to categorize as the one because his mission was to make a way and now he can't make a way because he's stuck. Probably looking back to, you know, Luke 4 where Jesus, after being baptized, he, he walked out into the, the wilderness and then after being in the wilderness, he comes and he stands and he says, opens the scroll of Isaiah and says, I am the one that's going to set the captives free. And that's probably the moment he went, yeah, yeah, captives, but hang on, whoa, I'm, pri I'm, I'm, I'm in prison. And so, and so there were things that Jesus listed that probably weren't on John's list that should have been on his list. Should have been on his list. In fact, that's what a box is. A set of expectations of how something should happen, how someone should behave, even qualities one should possess. And I'm sorry to say this, but girls do this all the time. I love that response, so nervous. You're nervous for me. All the guys are like straight away nodding and the girls are like, went big eyes. <laughs> girls do this all the time. Make lists. Make lists about the guy, the dream guy. Has to have this, this, this. True story. We were having a conversation. <laughs> You're laughing. We were having a conversation this week where I don't know where it came from, but you just said, you've recently, honey, ticked all my boxes. Now, as happy as I was to hear that, we've been married almost 20 years. I'm like, recently? I said, you ticked my boxes before we got married, girl. And she said, oh, yeah, but I am a girl, so we make new boxes all the time. This is what we, this is what we do, just, just making boxes, making boxes. Oh, I've ticked that one, but, but what about this? What about this box? What about, what about in this scenario? What about in this situation? The, the, the unexpected. This is why I find it difficult to box in the church with a single description because things change. Maybe not the church so much, but perspectives certainly do. Expectations do. And in addition to revealing the fruit of his ministry in verse 11, Jesus adds, some, adds a pretty confusing statement to provide clarity to John's confusion. He says this, I tell you the truth, verse 11, all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least of the person in the kingdom is greater than he is. And from the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and the violent people are attacking it. Now, now, now this verse in particular has raised, uh, really been the center of much scholarly debate throughout history. And many commentators have argued about its meaning and, and for many decades, in fact, some suggest that the, it means that the kingdom attracts violence. So expect opposition. Sign up for the kingdom, expect opposition so that you can sit at home and, and you can qualify why bad things happen to good people. 
that, that, that this is the, the verse that qualifies or, or maybe just gives you some sensibility that when something negative happens in your life, like a diagnosis or, or that you weren't expecting or, or maybe a job loss or something, then you can be like, mm, I expected this. The kingdom attracts opposition. While other scholars believe that it's suggesting that the kingdom creates opposition, that it attacks violently. It's the one that could, like it ain't for the passive people. The kingdom of God looks for soldiers and warriors. People aren't just gonna sit by passively and check off the list of church, but actually be engaged in the community of faith, actually be engaged in the kingdom. And so we have these two polarizing perspectives. Regardless, the most agreed upon understanding in the context to the rest of the conversation that Jesus is having here is that he was revealing that like himself, The kingdom doesn't fit a singular description. That it cannot be articulated in words, but and especially cannot be boxed in because the kingdom of God is all about action. This is what most biblical scholars believe that Jesus was trying to emphasize is that the kingdom of God is about action. It's not about words. It's not something that you can describe in a neat neat sentence. This idea of the kingdom that is weaving throughout the whole New Testament, even the Old Testament speaks about what was to come. And so there isn't one singular sentence or description that could give you a satisfying understanding of what the kingdom of God is, but you can see it in action. Are you with me? Don't go quiet on me now. It's about to get real good. It's not something that you can easily articulate, but it's something you can easily see. It's something that is so evident in life. And so here we have this thing that Jesus was trying to get through, that that, that the kingdom of God is evident in the outworking of lives being set free and transformed. Like like the kingdom of God, thank you right from the back. Was that Saray preaching me down? Thank you. There's one person who's getting this right in their spirit, that the kingdom of God isn't something that I can even sell. It's not something I can give you a statement that will sell it and you'll be like, I want it. It's through seeing people coming from death to life. It's it's from seeing who they were and who they are. It's the kingdom of God is seen in people. Life's transformed. That's the evidence of the kingdom. In fact, going back to Jesus' discussion with the disciples, asking who do people say I am? And then revealing that upon Peter's revelation, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus continues, he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. He doesn't give them a description. He gives them an action. He doesn't say, I'll build my church. Now this is how you describe it. The first thing he does is give them an action. Whatever you bind and whatever you lose will be done in, in heaven. He gives them an action as an articulation of the kingdom. Are you the one? The blind see. The lame walk. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. Actually, maybe I could just bring it home to Vive. We're trying to answer a question today. Because it's difficult to give you a description that would adequately and appropriately, in my opinion, represent who we are. I've I've tried so hard to give you a, a sentence, even a paragraph that would encapsulate and articulate what we are as a church Because while we're certainly charismatic and believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't go seeking manifestations for validation. I mean, we pray in English and we pray in unknown languages. We do both. While we certainly have a creative and progressive style as a church, we also have some fundamental beliefs that we hold on to. Like marriage. We believe that marriage is biblically and exclusively between man and woman. 
like the fact that there's one Saviour, one baptism, one hope, and to receive salvation, you must be born again. However, these statements aren't there to box us in, but they're truths that we hold on to. They keep us grounded and foundational and steadfast. Even though seasons change and policies change and political persuasions change, we hold true to the, to the foundation of the Word of God. But they're not there to box us in. Oh, you're one of those churches. No, we hold the truth. We hold the truth. In fact, to answer the question, what kind of church are we? Maybe you could tell me. I've tried to come up with a phrase. I've tried to come up with a statement. I've got pages upon pages of notes, crossed out, striking out, adding in, sentencing, structuring. But the sentence I came up with was, you tell me. What kind of church are we? You tell me. You tell me. I mean, miracles are happening. Faith is being stretched. Vision is being birthed. Leaders are being developed. Lives are being saved. Marriages are being restored. Families are being transformed. I don't know what you've seen and what you've heard, but, but, but out of what I've seen and heard, I can begin to tell you the action, Mother, much, much, much easier than a description. In fact, when I start thinking about a description, I can't find the words, but when I look at the action of the church, there are words flowing. There are things revealing. There are testimonies pouring out. I'm seeing lives transformed. I'm seeing people released. I'm seeing freedom come to entire families. I'm seeing husbands and wives get Getting baptized on the same day, committing their lives to God, going public with their faith. You tell me. You tell me. And I love this. You, you tell me because, because it is it's an invitation. As a description, it's terrible. But as an invitation, it's fantastic. I wish I could go back to the chairlift whip out a soggy card from my snow-filled pocket because I took some slams that day, but, and just said, here's the address, you come tell me. Just come, come, come and experience it for yourself because I don't know what words I could give you that would reveal it correctly like an experience when God speaks to your life and transforms your family and takes what was broken and restores it, takes what was dead and brings it back to life. I can't give you a description for that, but I can bring you into the atmosphere. Would you stand to your feet with me all across this place? You tell me. Tell me what God has done in your life. You tell me what God's done in your family. Yeah, it gets confusing at times for sure. It gets confusing when there's challenge. When there's people involved, that gets confusing because people offend if we're sensitive, we're looking for a description, we let offense be the thing that holds us back and pushes us out instead of go deeper into God and have grace. I'm always fascinated by the offended people. As Paul says, make allowance for each other's fault. It's a service from God to deepen grace in your life. It's like the New Year's revolu res resolution, revolution, resolution. I want patience. And then all of a sudden you're wondering why is there so much pressure in my life? You, you asked for God to produce the fruit of something. How's He gonna do it outside of the soil of pressure? 
God, I want to experience more of your grace. Guess what you can expect? <laughs> Offensive, flipping people. You gave God permission. You gave God permission to send challenge your way. Because God is interested in the fruit. I could preach a whole sermon about being connected to the vine and bearing the fruit, but but in the context of John the Baptist, in the context of what God's called me to, to do, there ain't a description that I could give you that I could hang myself on because you'll hold that. You said this, rather I wanna know you, you tell me, you tell me. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.